welcome to Saying the Skein. Uh, I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And as you can tell, Ben Tankersley is not with us. Sadly, he has succumbed to the Slumber Party Massacre. Rip. But it's okay, because we have someone to replace him this week. Well, kind of. We have a guest. Uh, and it's, ama- it's an amazing guest. Uh, Miss Jessica Stromberg. Whoa. Welcome, welcome to the show, Jessica. Yes, we, we appreciate the applause. Thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, no one ever Glad clapped for here. me back when I was a guest. So I, had a, <laughs> I always had to clap for myself, so I'm just, you know, I always clap for our guests. Thank yeah. you, I appreciate that. Yeah, well, uh, Jessica, welcome to this, the third week of Horror October, but uh, why don't you take just a second, tell the folks who you are, what you do, and yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm Jessica, I'm a... Theater. A Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a theater and communications um, studies major at the University of Georgia. Um, Doug and I do lots of theater together. We're, we're kind of friends, kind of acquaintances. So, some could say that. Yeah. I mean, we kind of hate each other, but that's fine. Just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but oh. she agreed to be on this episode. Um, and what, what an episode to be on. Because uh, this week, folks, last week we talked about the movie that I didn't realize was going to be a piece of filth from the 80s. And this week, we're talking about the movie that I knew was going to be a piece of filth from the 80s. Uh, this week, we were talking about the 1982 not-classic Slumber Party Massacre. Uh, like I said, it came out in 1982, directed by Amy Holden Jones, written by Rita, Rita Mae Brown. The reason I mentioned the writer uh, and the director will become important later on. Uh, stars Michelle Michaels, Robin Still, Michael Villa... Villa... Villelia? <laughs> Sure. Yeah, uh, Deborah DeLiso, Andre, uh, Honore, yeah, okay, look, a bunch of no-names. Um, this movie, uh, this movie, uh, so it was, uh, it was made on a budget of $250 million, grossed $3.2 million. Wait, hold on, this movie had $250 million? Sorry, $250,000. <laughs> budget of $250,000. Still. Grossed. <laughs> million. And as always, uh, the ratings. Now, guys and gal, Jessica, um, I I think we have our largest spread in terms of ratings with this movie uh, because Rotten Tomatoes has this movie at 38%, so it's rotten. Uh, IMDb has it at a 5.7 out of 10, so, you know, kind of medium. Google because, again, they're rating movies, has it at 86%, um, which is re- really something. How many uh, reviews? Is that, like, two reviews? Um, like- I can't see how many reviews on on uh, Google. Its own platform? Uh, yeah, Got it. Yeah, right. Uh, IMDb, there's over 10,000 reviews and Rotten Tomatoes. For the record, 5.7 is, like, I would argue a little below average for IMDb. Yeah. Um, I also want to say I don't think that's quite as big a spread as August Rush had. You remember how big a spread August Rush? I thought August Rush was, Rush was just kind of in the middle. No, it was all over the place for sure. Oh, okay. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, though, it only has sixteen reviews and it still has thirty eight percent. So that's 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 fun. Uh-huh. Um. So yeah. Uh, anyone want to kind of attempt to take us through what the story of this movie is, like what happens? I mean, I'm going sure. to level with you. It's not that hard of a story to, yeah, to discuss. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's the 80s, so the Reagans are making all the decisions. Right. That was the running joke during the movie. It's courtesy of Doug. 
Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. There are no parents around in this movie. That's true. It's so. kind of like the Jimmy Neutron movie where all the parents are just abducted by aliens. They leave. I mean, they, I don't know. Did they say they're going to the airport at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, they, they all I, went on a collective retreat, I think. I guess. I, I think yeah. it's supposed to be like a conference or a retreat, but like, yeah, all, all the parents. The are, neighborhood are watch retreat. There are no in, parents. Including the police, right? Yes, including the police also work on well, They show all up the at adults. the end, yeah. so it's just a couple. Everyone over the age they of don't, 18. Though. It's just the sirens oh, yeah. at the end. Oh. Anyway, what happens in this movie is there's a slumber party. And it turns into a massacre. Mm. Incredible. I bet uh, you couldn't guess that. Yeah. And it's it's all because of this guy who loves his power drill. Can you remember his name? Russ. He had a name? Thorn. Russ Thorn. Russ Thorn. Well. He loves his power drill and he never blinks. That's, uh, that's the plot. <laughs> With a thin veil of new girl coming to school. I, I guess being like made fun of. Kind of. Yeah. Because new and, girl... And I think, I think that, cause, cause you're right. There is a B plot of this new girl. She's in town. She's come to school. They're like, they're Everyone like, well, kind of feels threatened by her. Cause she's kind of, she's kind of the best one at basketball. And I, I guess. Yeah. I think at the beginning, I think they say something to the, to the effect of like, she's really pretty, but it looks like she's trying too hard, which dear Lord. <laughs> it's okay. We can get to that later. I have some thoughts. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really simple plot for a, for a slasher. Um, it's a, it's a, a plot is very generous. I mean, what, what's going on here? Elijah said it. It, It's just, it's just a dude killing people at a slumber party. That's, that's it. Because he loves them. And, Mm. and at the beginning of the movie, there's maybe like 10 minutes of quote unquote plot happening. And then it's just the killing. Uh The killing begins with a big drill yeah yeah um yeah so so i mean it's it's not a very story driven movie uh but uh but before we but outside of the story there is some acting to discuss they do act they that's, do, they it's a do movie act. they're actors in they it they actors, do act yeah. technically that's what they're doing you know this movie is not is not similar to uh is not like sleepaway camp and that everyone's given absurdly big performances um people also aren't like you know sexually assaulting each other but um yeah but uh but everyone apparently is trying to be like very like toned down in their performances except for two people uh russ thorne uh who like we said earlier never blinks has Mm -hmm. probably about seven lines in the movie he is he's super toned down he's very I, th- I think he's pretty intense, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah oh, yeah. yeah, but I mean, as far as, like, words and blinking and being quiet, oh, he's he, no tone. No tone there. He won't even make a noise. But, I mean, are we saying that blinking makes a good actor <laughs> or a good performance? You're talking about, like, how much oomph he put into his acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, know, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. This, this guy uh, just was very quiet. But also it was all in the eyes. Was loud, yeah, it was, sure. which is what film acting is all about. Yeah, <laughs> um, the the subtlety. Yeah, I, you know what? This guy's one it's of the best the actors face. I've ever seen. Actually, <laughs> but spot he's, on. He's incredible. Yeah. I'll say it. Doug, who's the other actor that was? Oh, well, you know, um, <laughs> I think I think it's our our favorite little weirdo. Uh, Mr. Content. He was my favorite. He, he man, was. You know, if if Russ Thorne, uh, whose actor is, hold on, Michael Valeya Valella, um, if uh, if Russ Thorne's actor 
is from definitely a film school of acting theory. Then uh, David Contant, uh, played by Rig Kennedy. Uh, Rig is definitely from the school of acting of theater where everything has to be really big and it, it has to be absurdly big but also very toned down at the same time. Like, very naturalistic. Um... Because uh, cause there's a character in here, y'all, uh, his name's Mr. Content. He literally... He's a neighbor. He, he's a neighbor. He's yeah. thrown into the movie to be a red herring. He is um, the only adult who is in town at all. That's right. Well, he has no kids, so he's not part of the... Oh, yeah, he's not a parent. But you kids know, like, squad. But you oh, know, so he like, didn't go to the big parent convention. That's okay. what it is. Yeah. All right. But, but you know, like, like, he's a cool parent. Like, you know, he's cool that they're, like, smoking reefer. And, like, he's cool that they're drinking Miller High Life's. Yeah, um, he, like, has this really cool line where he's like, hey, I won't tell your parents if, like, that you're smoking weed as long as you won't tell them that I broke into your house and, like, scared you. Yeah, which everyone breaks into everyone's house. Yeah. Because 80s. It's that means he's thing. really cool. Yeah. And trustworthy. Oh, oh, and there is one other thing that he does that, like, just sets his coolness level at, like, 3,000. Oh. I mean, he's he's an adamant snail hunter. Oh, that yeah. Was the, that was the high point of the movie. Yeah. Snail cutting. You know, I when I watch a movie, I I the first the first question I ask myself is how many snails am I going to see in this movie? And you know, it didn't disappoint. I saw at least one snail, and there, you saw two. There were yeah, there were a couple snails, and there were at least fifty one off camera that were mentioned. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fifty one off camera snails yeah. that he had already killed. That was a, in the that same was night. A great scene. You mentioned him being a red herring. That's yeah. what he that said. Scene they they show somebody hiding in the bushes with a. What was it? A butcher? Cleaver. A cleaver. Mr. Content. And, uh, yeah. And, and then you think Hunt he's, snails. You think he's going to slash the girl's neck, but then he, he hops out and kills that snail, man. Before that snail had time to move, he kills that snail good. And that, she's that's like, how he's so successful. She's like, you out here hunting snails again? What did she say? Uh, okay, literally. So, so we see a cleaver come down right next to, I think it's Diane's face. And Diane goes, and I quote, sorry if you're listening on headphones, ah, oh, hey, Mr. Contents. <laughs> and then she asks him, like, oh, you, you, you out on another stale hunt? Yeah, and he says, yeah, 53 tonight. <laughs> it was an incredible scene. Incredible. Listeners of Saying the Skein, I want to know... Do you do you partake in the snail hunts of your of your local um, I do. forest? Oh, you do. Yeah, that's what I've been doing after it's, tonight. After oh, we get done cool, doing podcasts. Cool. I got to go on my snail hunt. But is, I go on. Is there a nice little kind of community built around the snail hunters? Yeah, yeah, we're all friends. Cool. Well, let's take this ad break to uh, just <laughs> just really put a spot on Snail Hunters United. Uh, a great a great group out there. Great organization. Uh, check them out. Yeah. Watch this podcast get dogged by PETA for promoting animal <laughs> oh, no. cruelty. Well, I mean, this movie straight up kills an animal. That yeah. snail's gone. Okay. It's dead. That is, that is kind of I funny. mean, it is a snail. Because but... because we see the cleaver come down. We do see the remains of the snail. And yeah, in, your head, it's just like, in your head, it's just like, oh, man, cool, fake snail. And then you're like, oh, wait, it's the 80s. No, nah, that's a dead snail. A snail. I mean, to be fair, it is a snail. Okay. They're people, too, Tristan. Mm. They don't have Snails pain receptors. Right? They, they do not have pain receptors. It's a snail. <laughs> I don't think they It's have not a dog. Receptors. You know what I mean? Like, well, that would, right. that would be cat. something different. It's, cat, it's a cat. Like, there, Gary the snail. Or a, well, Gary the snail <laughs> is basically a cat. I feel like maybe we should just from the snails. I, okay, yeah. So the acting. 
Uh, so yeah, so Mr. Content and Russ Thorne are great. Um, as far as like our leads, uh, who there are, there are what? Six girls in total? Yes. Who we're supposed to be following? Um, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Roughly I guess six. so. And then there's two I boys. Mean, there's also the gym coach and the phone repair woman. There's well, I'm just oh, she's in it for like ten seconds. Okay, I was there's, thinking about all the ones who get murdered. <laughs> there's there's also a gym coach. There's also what about the girl birds. at the beginning? Yeah, the girl who hides. I don't okay, remember. She's not a main character. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, Go ahead. Um, there's there's the two pervs. pervs yeah, who, who literally just show up at this who who literally just show up at this house just so they can see girls get naked. Um, they're real classy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and then yeah, pretty much that's 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 about it. And I mean, they all exist in the movie. And and then the other bodies were. Uh, Diane's boyfriend, Boo Boo. Boo Boo. <laughs> and then the pizza guy. Yeah. Yeah. Pizza guy, though, great performance. You know, because he had to fall <laughs> on command. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. He's the only character who blinked less than the murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow this guy killed every, all these people and no one heard it. I mean, people heard it, but no one said, mm, that's, that's suspicious. I'm sorry, oh. have you never looked at, have you ever, have you never looked at, uh, at, uh, architecture in los angeles from the 1980s i mean completely soundproof everything is completely sound every room actually completely soundproof i didn't study they that t- actually they designed everything with the slasher in mind yeah like how can we make this as convenient as possible I, I actually got my degree in san francisco architecture it's it's kind of amazing actually um the the acting's nothing really to to sta- to talk about no um, you know it just exists i just wanted to talk about russ thorne and Mr. Content. There is one thing that, again, not really important to this movie, but it's been a vital part of the last two horror movies that we've talked about, and if I remember correctly, it'll be important about the movie that we talk about next week, but score. The score of this movie. Um, you the know, music. <laughs> music. Yes. Uh, you know, we had Midsummer, where complete, very subtle... You know, kind of just painted this this atmosphere of of intensity and dread building. You know, we had Sleepaway Camp where that score just punches you in the face with all of its with all of its like emotion, all of its uh, kills, everything like that. Just punches you in the face. Slumber Party Massacre plays the same five notes over and over and over again starting from like the very opening of the movie and yeah there's there's something to be said for a horror movie that just keeps their suspenseful music playing the entire time that the movie's going on there was no like lulling you into a false sense of like everything's gonna be okay no it started first note very beginning of the movie and continued just all throughout yeah anyone else got anything to add about the score no. Yeah, you said there's okay. something to be said about it, and I'm really struggling to find what there is to be said about yeah, it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, there was nothing. There's something to be said about the fact that it's so grossly unremarkable. It, it was. It was uh-huh. an electronic loop. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, maybe it had like four tones. Uh, with or without that, how suspenseful was this movie really? Oh, I mean, it's not. Well, I think. But it. it there tries. were moments. It, yeah, it tried to build suspense for sure. 
And it, it like, got you a couple times where you were thinking that somebody was about to get murdered, and really it was just, like, Mr. Someone, Contans. Yeah. That is, yeah. That is true, yeah. yeah. On a snail hunt. But then, I mean, I didn't, I didn't see that drill, okay? I saw a butcher's knife, and I said, no, that's not my guy. <laughs> he wouldn't use a butcher's knife. <laughs> he did, though. He's above that. He killed someone with a knife. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, that was a desperate know. time, I think. Okay. Yeah, it was a big, it was a big moment for him. He said, my drill. Yeah, yeah, it. he did grow, didn't mm-hmm. he? Hey guys, what's up? It's your pal Ben, and you thought you could get through this episode without hearing my voice. Well, ha. Anyway, uh, I'm here to interrupt the action with a few announcements. First, I just want to thank each and every one of you for taking some time out of your day to listen to our podcast. Uh, Honestly, it it really does mean the world. I know I say that every single week, but, uh, you know, each one of us puts in so much work for this podcast, and to know that there are people out there listening to it, whether, you know, we know you or not, Honestly, it's really awesome. Um, so thank you. Uh, if you're interested in supporting us in other ways, we've got a whole bunch of ways you can do that. Uh, first, you can sign up for our Patreon. You can get all sorts of cool bonus content, seeing behind-the-scenes stuff, early access, bonus episodes, uh, all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, you can check all that out at patreon.com slash vitermedia. Uh, another great way you can support us is by checking out our merch store. Uh, we've got some buttons. We've got some stickers. If there's something else you want to see, let us know. Uh, you can check all that out at vitermedia.com slash merch. Now, the easiest way to support us is just by keeping on with what you're doing. You know, keep listening to us. Keep sharing us with your friends. Because, I mean, the more people that find out about us, the more people can enjoy listening to us. Uh, now, if you want to support uh, a specific show, what you can do, you can go to the show page on whatever uh, platform you're listening on. Be sure to leave us a rating and review. Uh, now, that's all I've got. Be sure to check out our other Viter Media products. We've got Tea with Doug G. We've got the Flea Pit. They're both awesome. Check them out. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay, now, I know that everyone listening is probably like, well, why the heck did y'all do this movie if, like, there's really nothing remarkable about it? Well, friends and listeners, it's because this movie's got some history to it. Um, so... so it, it has layers, so you just have to there, look. <laughs> yeah, there's some definite layers to this movie. So, first things first, so this movie came out in 1982. Slashers are in their prime, and what are kind of the were kind of the the staples of the slasher genre? Well, you have a bunch of horny teens getting killed. You have a bunch of dead people. Uh, <laughs> after, that's that's after, that's after, 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 Sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, your killer is almost always like a dominant male presence. Um, it's almost always. Uh, the killer almost always is using a knife, chainsaw, something along that that those lines. A drill. Some sort of phallic. Yeah, I was gonna something. say some sort of phallic, but like I hadn't like gotten into that point. Oh. Bottom line, the reason the Slumberbury Massacre <laughs> kind of stands out is because it's this movie that's sort of set up and advertises like this is gonna be kind of like an exploitive film uh, of women. Like if you look at the poster, it literally is. A man with a drill 
right between his legs, uh, looking down at three women in lingerie. Um, pretty gross. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty gross. But this, my friends, is the only slasher franchise, and continues to be the only slasher franchise, completely written and directed by women. Which is really interesting given some of the subject matter in this movie. Or not subject matter, but given what happens in this movie. And the way it's presented. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Elijah, I know that you have like some points you want to make on like how this movie's presented and everything like that. Well, I, I just... Um, I'm the guy who lives in the Wikipedia wormhole. That's my role here. And uh, what I wanted to ask you about, because I knew you were the resident expert on this movie, is on Wikipedia it says... The film was originally written by Brown. What's her name? Amy? Uh, Rita May. Rita, oh, Rita May Brown. I was looking at the director's name. Rita May Brown. Originally wrote this as a parody of the slasher genre, but what it was shot as a straightforward horror film instead, and as a result, it contains more humor, both intended and unintended, than usual for the genre at the time. I just don't understand how this was written as a parody, and they were like, nah, we need to make this a straightforward horror film. Yeah, so so if you don't know, so Rita Mae Brown uh, is a she's a screenwriter. She also is a feminist activist. Um, I could have just said feminist, but um, <laughs> but you know, here we are. Uh, she uh, so she wrote this screenplay as a parody of the horror genre because, especially in the eighties, early eighties, you get this argument sort of coming up from the feminist movement of why are we putting so much money and effort behind these movies which exist only to objectify women um, purely for sexual needs? Um, We always see them be killed in gruesome ways. It's catering to a male-dominated, a a male audience. Um, Like, why are we putting all this energy behind it? And Rima Brown sees this trend. She's like, well, I'll write this parody of it. Uh, so she goes to sell it to producers, and the producer who picks it up is a guy named Roger Corman. Now, if you don't know, Roger Corman is known as the the father of modern pop film. So basically what that means is he's the guy who will make a movie just about anything uh, as long as he finds it interesting. So, uh, so okay. Um, you know the you know the musical Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. Well, Little Shop of Horrors is made is based off of a 1950s movie. That movie was directed and produced by Roger Corman. Um, he's and as time went on, he moved on from like these sort of like little indie movies into these very exploit exploitation based films. So you get movies like Shopping Mall where there's literally like a 20 minute scene of just panning bed to bed of kids like having sex in their beds um, for a very long stretch of the movie. Good. So this guy like, he's got a lot of influence, a lot of power in Hollywood. Like I think um, oh man uh, who's, who's, the, who's the director? Casino Scorsese. Uh, Scorsese is a, he directed, no he didn't, he directed Goodfellas. Um, Martin Scorsese was a, uh, was a pupil of Roger Corman, like, studied under Roger Corman. Some other big directors have studied under him. Like, this guy's got a lot of influence. So he sees this parody script and he's like, I kind of like that idea, but instead of treating it just like a parody, let's treat it like an actual horror film. 
and we can market it better. So he basically gets this movie off the grounds. Uh, Amy Holden, Amy Holden Jones, uh, is brought on to direct, and this is a phenomenal editor. Uh, she's edited a bunch of Corman's movies in the past. Fun fact: she actually turned up. She she refused the job of editing E.T. for the opportunity to direct this movie. Um, man, how do you look back at that at your at uh, that for your career? Yeah, you remember when we talked about Wild Wild West with Will Smith? And how Will Smith almost did The Matrix that year, and then did Wild Wild West instead. I feel like this is pretty similar. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so so she directs it, and it's all fine and good. The problem is, is that with Roger Corman as your producer, there are a few things that he requires um, in order for his movies to be made. Uh, someone once said that you know you can really sum it up in three words for for Roger Corman, butts, boobs, and gore. Which we got. Oh, we got all of them. We definitely got all those things. We got all of them. But, yeah, go ahead, Tristan. Roger Corman, I'm looking at his movies, his filmography here. He's made, or he he was in Silence of the Lambs. And he was a writer on Little Shop of Horrors, but he wrote the movies based on, or he produced it, right? He produced the original movie. So, every other movie I'm looking at in his filmography... They look, they all look pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. They, they look like they're, they look like Sharknado type material. Uh-huh. Um, Death Race, Water Wars, Sharktopus. It sounds like he's uh-huh. running a... Cobra Gator. Children's Camp. <laughs> but this stuff is like, it just doesn't look, it looks awful. Dino Croc? I mean, like, <laughs> like... <laughs> oh no, not the Dino Croc. Like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> But I think it's interesting from, like, a woman's perspective of, like, this feminist who's written the script as, like, a parody, as, like, a commentary, and then the only producer she can get to pick it up is this misogynistic man who's, yeah, who's gonna make them, like, exploit these women in this movie, and, um, you know, she kind of gets this ally with this director, but they're still, like, beholden to his exploitation, you know? Um, and I, I just, I think that's really interesting that you've got like these two women who potentially are trying to work together to make this commentary and are being like so restricted by this man who is their only source of like income, I guess, or, you know, um, like, I mean, he gives them their shot. Yeah. And so like, how, how then do you proceed with this commentary that you're trying to make with this parody and also, you know, try to appease him? Okay. So. The director as well as the writer, they both wanted to make it a parody, right? Yeah, I, I don't know that I would say that Amy Holden Jones wanted to make it as a parody. But she I, did. I think that it's it's significant that she turned down another job in order to do this. She's gone on record as saying, like, you know, like, she understood, like, what they were trying to do with the movie. Like, she understood what Rita was trying to uh-huh. do. Um yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking like it am I am I just misinterpreting the because of the quality of 80s movies or did they try to make it as much of a parody as they could get away with? I think I think they did. I think that they've actually done more than I mean even I picked up on while we were watching it. Um are we I guess we're not 
barrier. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. But um, there was a lot I was reading about, about, like, the male gaze. So, like, in film, you have, like, the gaze, which is, like, how the filmmakers want the audience to look at the movie, at the characters, at the story. And they've really adopted in the movie a male gaze. You're looking at it through the male gaze, which is why you have scenes like the shower scene, which is, like, very voyeuristic, very, like, you know, looking from the outside, which is why you have, like, the mirror shots, which I noticed, like, they're looking through the mirror at, and it's just, like, a very, um, and then you've got the two male characters who are also just, like, outside the window, like, for a huge chunk of the movie, watching them change, and, um, they just really adopt, like, even in the movie poster, you're looking from behind the man, you're not looking from the perspective of the girl, like, the girls being killed, so... Um, yeah, I think that they did all they could and maybe they hit it a little bit too much in order to get away with it, but I do think that they did put some of that in there. I mean, we have the whole scene at the end with the drill getting cut off, with him getting, you know, metaphorically castrated, um, that I think that they included. Okay, so you, you're saying that the director wanted this movie to be preoccupied with the male gaze for the purpose of parody? I think that they kind of had to do that because that is, I mean, their producer was sort of forcing them almost to take on that perspective. I think you can also look at it as, um, you know, that's what that's what um, a standard horror audience is going to be looking at this from. Yeah. Um, and and I think I think that's that's one of the best examples of like how they still like played into the parody aspect of this because I mean, even a, even a cheesy, uh, uh, crass eighties slasher movie, um, wouldn't hold on a shot of just two guys looking out a window at girls changing for as long as this movie does. Like, I mean, I think that the way that they played into the parody side of it is we're going to meet expectations, but we're going to go like, uncomfortably over that well even mr content like you've got this weird like red herring character but he is also he's super creepy mm-hmm. super creepy and he's lurking yeah the whole time he like sneaks into the house and he's like oh sorry i scared you but also i was in your house right. so you know even he like all the male characters in this film are looking in creeping on these girls and even so there's one thing i just thought about so there's the whole barbie thing where she throws away her Barbie at the beginning and it comes back all bloody or whatever later. But who put that there? It are we supposed to believe that the murderer yeah, was there that morning and took the Barbie, kept it all day, and then went back to her house that night and did that? Are we supposed he, to believe he's that? A creep. I, I would say I would okay. say so. Now who, the way who it's else? directed in the first scene, when you see somebody take the Barbie doll out of the trash can, you're led to believe it's Mr. Content. And he is lurking outside the house the whole time. I mean, so, we talk about the red herring as if... And, so the snail hunt. So back to the snail hunt. He's... <laughs> sorry. And I hate to bring it up again. Please. But he's lurking in the bushes. He's waiting there with the knife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for a snail hunt. But he's... So he's waiting there while she's taking the wood. Waits until he sees a snail and then Are you implying that in. Mr. Content was already planning on killing them? Yes, but absolutely. But there was a drill man? Yes. Yes, and yes he, absolutely. He That's what I'm saying. He killed the snail... And used its blood to smear the Barbie doll. <laughs> so is it a parody in that way where there was there like they were there Mr. Content is a parody of a villain, but they but he ended up being a red herring, and now the villain is just an actual well, crazy the, man. 
the actual villain killed him. So he yeah. didn't even have a chance to do whatever he was going to do. <laughs> I, I kind of get I kind of get where Tristan's this movie going. This movie parody itself without realizing it? Or did, did, did they... You guys want to understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't I mean, even know I, if I, I understand get, what I'm saying. I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, because Mr. Content does meet all the parameters of like what, what qualifies someone as a villain. Uh, and he just... It's it's just funny because they all know him, so they're just like, well, no, I mean, we're good, we're cool, like, yeah, they wouldn't suspect him. <clears throat> you yeah. never it, do. It's, it's like in Scooby Doo, you know, you don't suspect the guy who's <laughs> right, like that. Um, okay, so the the shower scene. Uh huh. Yeah, you said they uh, the director made that scene as long and clunky and unnecessarily exploitative. As possible, on purpose? No, okay. So, so to contextualize this... Well, so, I think yes, but we can get to that. So, so there's there's a saying in this movie. It goes on for roughly five, four months-ish. Um, and literally all it does is it tracks across the girls while they're in the shower room. While they're in a shower room. So, like... You even get, like, two or three girls who literally are facing away from the camera and then just turn so that the camera is boob level with them. Um, so, I mean, it's it's just this incredibly uncomfortable scene of just pure exploitation on these women. The director has gone on record as saying that the reason that she did it like that is because Roger Corman was putting pressure on her. He was like... I need more, I need more, uh, nudity, and she said, fine, I'll just get all out of the way right now, and then we'll go on from there, um, so she did, she's gone on record as saying that if she could reshoot that scene, uh, she 100% would, because she thinks she could incorporate nudity, and I think, I read one, I read one place where she said, I think I can incorporate nudity into more of the movie in a classier way. I think, well, that being said, I think that it's interesting the way she did it because, I mean, you're all males. Let's, you know, yeah, let's get out, let's that be out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even you're saying, Doug, that like it was very uncomfortable to watch and it was really awkward and really, and I think that that's kind of like, I don't know, giving him the finger. She's like, you want a nudity? Like you freaking, here it is. Right. And I like mean, even, yeah, and even... even the way you described it, Doug, it sounded like it was maybe a middle finger. But she's like, here's your nudity. Like, if, this, if that's what you wanted, like, this is what you got. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's also there's also something to be said for the fact that, you know, she, she incorporates nudity into this movie, but, but the shower scene is literally like, I want to say it's unsexualized nudity, but... I think she's trying to frame it as this is unsexualized nudity because, you know, normal films, if you have, I mean, let's, let's look at Midsummer, which has nudity for the weirdest of scenes, but Uh even then, like it's heavily sexualized. Um, it's heavily sexualized in that context. These girls are literally just taking a shower. Um, they're, they're just taking a shower um, and is it uncomfortable? Absolutely. But it still is kind of that unsexualization of it because it's just like, 
it's like they're not doing it for anyone. They're doing it because exactly they because just got out of practice. This meets like a basic need. Yeah, but it's also like they just got out of practice. They're literally just taking a shower and they're all like chatting while they're doing it, and it's really not. It's not sexual. Yeah, but it's it's filmed in this like you use the word voyeuristic, and like that scene, there's no murderer lurking. Yeah. So none. I mean, this very lengthy scene that does not contribute to the quote unquote plot of the slasher film at all it's just like all right here's all your nudity well there's a whole shot that just pans up and down a girl's body right did very slowly this this just this just popped into my head but you know how we said that the shower scene basically serves as the director's middle finger to roger corman could you ever would you ever think that maybe the shower scene also serves as the director's middle finger to members of the audience who literally just came to the movie to see nudity. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, for sure. Because I think I think there is an argument to be made there, and that she's just like, okay, you want nudity? Yeah, this is what Fine. you came for. This is okay. this is nudity. This is nudity in its most basic form. I'm trying to imagine Roger Corman like at his desk <laughs> or wherever they do these things, being like, coked you know, in, having his image of what he wants this movie to be. And then getting this and either, I mean, assuming that we're right in thinking that that scene and, and maybe some other moments are a middle finger to him. Did he get this and just not notice? Yes. Or did he notice and not care he because didn't notice. he wanted the nudity anyway? He didn't I, notice because he wanted the nudity and he got it. So that's all he cared about. So yeah. he like didn't even think. I doubt it. Uh-huh. I doubt he thought that these two women who he's giving an opportunity to would dare yeah, I mean, I think it. I think he just looked at it as like, I just I just need you to put nudity in my movie. I I literally just need you to put nudity. He's in a it. he's a true artist. This guy. He's who knows. Like a creep. I mean, the, the the all he he pr- has produced hundreds of movies or more. I don't know. Like he has so many movies. He he's producing like over, over the past like sixty years or yeah. longer maybe. He's produced like ten 50s. movies a year. You know. And really high quality. Oh, super high really quality. Really deep artistic yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and it, and it's like all this just stuff like this movie where it's like, you know, did you ever hear about it? No. Did you hear about the people who rent it? No. Does he <laughs> really even exist? Maybe. Uh, I'm not sure if that even happened. I'm telling you though, dude was huge. Dude was huge. He had a ton of influence and he could get stuff done. Well, I mean, to do this this many movies, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Um, so, so we've talked about the big sort of scene that turns slasher tropes on its head, uh, the shower scene. Now, there's another scene at the very end that turns, I think, slasher themes on its head. Uh, you know, there, like we were saying, there's a tradition in slasher films where the killer's form of... Uh, a weapon of choice um, is something always phallic. You have a chainsaw, you have a knife, you have a machete. It's always like a phallic image. This movie, on the other hand, still has a phallic image in that it's a long drill, and they literally put it between uh, Russ Russ Thorne's legs at times and does shots from from the middle of his legs. So you, so I mean, it looks like a phallus. Right, it, um, yeah, that's the intention. And that just a real quick interruption. Is that also a subtle middle finger to the man? It's toying with the middle I don't know that that's so much a middle who, finger as it is. Knows? Like I don't know that so much of a middle finger as it is. Like 
high just just so you know like this is what it I mean I think that I think that the middle finger comes when you think about the fact that that is a it's a we talked about it also it's a long drill like it's like what a foot long like and he there's that know, one scene where he sneaks in the window and he leads with the drill he not always a part leads of his with the drill yeah body. he doesn't step in with but his it, leg. i think i think if we're talking about a middle finger i think she's like this is what you think it looks like and it's uh-huh. not you know, I, I'm not saying you guys are wrong. Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, but I I just you know looking at a movie like this, I find it really hard to believe that they put this much thought into Slumber Party Massacre. It seems like they just wanted to, and then couldn't achieve their creative vision. Or maybe they and did, and they you guys tried, just missed it. They tried to I, slip it in there. I think that they did everything that they could with it. Yeah, and I think that. I think that she managed to do what she wanted to with the movie, given her parameters. Yeah, that's what it's, it seems like. They, they're they like, okay, this guy's giving us a chance, and he doesn't want to do the same thing we do, so we're just going to like go rogue a little bit, and maybe he won't notice, and then he didn't. Is that what happened? Yeah, I think so. From what I've heard, yeah, that's what happened. Weird. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Um, so anyway, so getting back into the... Uh, so getting back into the... Um, into the ending of this movie... So, bottom line, killers have phallic objects, and in standard slasher movies, you know, the... Oh, man, there's no way I can not say this. Um, so, in most other slasher movies, the the final girl, the final survivor, uh, will get the weapon from the... will get the weapon from the killer, will steal... will steal uh, his his phallus and come on, take it come on, themselves and then kill the killer with that um this one they don't there is no exchange of fallacies no she gets her um, own she gets her own she i told you there's no way i could talk around this um what does she do with it doug well she castrates there we go uh she castrates him by cutting off his drill <laughs> she um, comes running out literally a machete and cuts the drill bit off and then cuts his hand off. Yeah. And he falls in the pool. The other phallus of the movie, his hand. <laughs> she cuts that one off. And then he falls in the pool. He's not actually dead. He comes back. Yeah. And then but, she kills him with right. the machete. But they do kill him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. And then not only does she not only does he die via machete, he dies by jumping on machete that's pointed straight up from between her legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he literally impales himself on phallus. I love the symbolism of that. It's yeah. Amazing. It's the best, most artistic movie I've probably ever seen in my life. Well, thanks for that, Tristan. We love the sarcasm. Um, <laughs> but I do think it's interesting what you were talking about earlier about how, like, usually it's, like, the only the purists or whatever that survive um, to the last. And obviously we have Trish, who doesn't subscribe to that at all. I mean, she's seen drinking, like... Um, Valerie makes a comment that she's, like, always got boys around, you know, she's kind of, she's, she's not the perfect, the most pure that, and even, actually, even Valerie's not. Mm-hmm. She is the, the Playgirl magazine. Yeah. Or the, yeah, under her bed. Yeah. So she's not the purest either. Yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, and so, I mean, I do think that that's, like, a unique kind of thing to this movie, is that, like, you don't have, like, the, only the purest girl surviving to last. Because I think that the idea of, like, the pure girl is, like, it's just, it doesn't exist. Yeah. 
And, I mean, you know, now in horror movies we have, like I said, you know, we have active, um, we have active women in horror films. You have, you have characters like, um, ah, dang it, I just forgot her name, but Samara Weaving from Ready or Not. Oh, I love her. Um, you know, someone who is actively fighting for their own survival, not taking it passively. Yeah. Not like, my friends are dead, now I'm going to react. Yes, Tristan. Well, you, you have older movies, I mean, a few of them, I, I, I looked up a few and then I thought of a couple other ones. Halloween is one where you have a final girl, Jamie Lee Curtis, at the end. You have Alien. Yeah, um, Ripley. Ripley um, is incredible. I mean, you have movies like that. You have The Shining, where you have um, uh, Shelley Duvall. Shelley, Shelley Duvall. Um, <laughs> those are off, just off top. I mean, that just you have those, and those do way. Those are of that era, same era, and I think they do way more for women in horror movies than this movie does. In that, you have these final women who, throughout the movie, have. Like, my, the point I'm trying to make is that you have these women and these older movies that I mentioned. They succeed in the end, and they conquer it. And then these women in, the, in this movie we watched, they also win. But there's also like a ton of like sexualized stuff in it. That, while I get that they countered it by putting a big middle finger up to whatever the guy's name is we mentioned, he was a scumbag. Roger Corman. Roger Corman. But at the same time, you have these other movies. So I don't, I don't know if this movie did a, a lot for the, for that movement, compared to these other great movies like Alien, who, with Ripley, did a, quite a big number on, you know, having a female lead in a horror movie that gets the job done and gets on out of there. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, I think that's a fair point. I think the reason that this movie stands out the way it does, though, is simply because it was sold as just another explo- exploitative slasher. Just another, like, uh, just another movie, like, with sexy teens who will get killed. Um, I think that's where the importance of this movie comes in. Because I think you're absolutely right. Like, Ripley is definitely a stronger character than any girl in this movie. Uh, yeah, uh, Jamie in every Lee Curtis, way. <laughs> Laurie Strode is definitely a stronger character than any of these girls. But I think the fact that the that this movie was set up as like, this is just going to be another normal, run-of-the-mill, uh, exploitive, uh, nudity-filled slasher, I think that's where the importance comes in. That's a fair point. Yeah. I just wonder how effective this would have been if the writer whose name escapes me, if her original... Rita Mae Brown. If Rita Mae Brown's original vision had been realized, how effective this movie would have been. Because as is, I just don't think I'm going to be able to give it a high score. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. All right, well, let's rate this sucker. Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, we here at Saying the Skeen have a scale. The scale is 1 to 100. Uh, You can think of it as like your standard American grade point scale. Um, You know... Uh, a B C D E F. Uh, <laughs> you know E. I don't. <laughs> the best grade you wait, can get. You haven't gotten an E on a test yet. <laughs> just wait. Just wait, kids. Um, so, with that being said, uh, if anybody doesn't want to go first, I will go first. 
All right, sweet. So I'm going to go first. <laughs> um, so, you. so, you know, like I've said before, easiest way to rank these movies, given our scale, is just a lot points to things. So I will give this movie 15 points for content and for Russ Thorne. And I will not subtract points from it. I'll just say, in terms of what it was trying to do and the enjoyment that I felt in watching this movie, I will give it an additional 20 points. So I will give this movie a 35. Okay, well, I'll go next. Uh, I was kind of around the same same area. I was going to give this a 37. Um, 37? Yeah. Okay, that's actually a reference to the movie Clerks, just saying. Oh, well. Right. Well, this is not about you, so maybe you should... <laughs> It's about clerks. I, I mean, I, I, I did enjoy the movie. I think, like, I, I had, I at least had fun watching it. I don't know what. I paid attention. I know, I know that much. I know I paid attention to it. So, like, I paid attention, and I don't want to watch it again. And it gets a thirty-seven, <laughs> and that's all I got. That's. It just. It was not a good movie. But I didn't yeah. hate it. I mean, my original thought was forty, right in the same area. So I'm I'm just gonna stick with that. I mean, if I'm giving it points, then all forty of those points are for the same thing, and that <laughs> is for they had this original vision that could have been a lot better, and they did everything they could to make that happen. And the movie's just kind of like, I, I don't know. I, it's, <laughs> Yeah, right. It was a thing, you know. It was, a it, was movie. it was a thing. I'm not upset that I watched it. Like it was yeah. fine. I mean, there's. I mean, you were right, Jess. There's stuff to think about. It's not. It's not just one layer here. There's stuff to think about. Um, I just think like, if they had been able to go full fledged parody with this, I, I don't know. I I gotta give it a forty. I think. Okay. Well, for me. I'm definitely giving it more points than you guys. But I just, I think that there's so much more to it. I mean, even I feel like I miss things when we watch it. I definitely would watch it again, actually, now that we've discussed it, now that I've, like, read a couple more things. I kind of wish I'd, like, done that before because I feel like there's so much more in it. And I think that the whole parody aspect, I think it's almost more fun that they had to do it in a sneaky way and make this almost, like, satirical piece instead of, like, making it just full-fledged parody like I almost think that they were able to do more with that obviously we'll never know but I I think that that's like a very interesting and I very much respect the middle finger um I so respect it um so I'm giving it a solid 70 I really respect this movie I really respect these women for trying to do what they did whether they fully succeeded or not I appreciate the effort all right well uh well that after you plug all that into our patented scoreometer, it brings you a score of 45.5, which means... Eh? It means it's an F. It means it fails. Is it an F? Yes. If you do a grade scale, um, then yes. Which yes, I thought it is an F. We weren't doing Yeah, I know. I know. It's a whole thing. Um, But, uh, but yeah... I do think it's weird, though, because we all said we would watch this movie again, which is so except, not except the case. Justin. Which is so not yeah, the case I, with uh, with Sleepaway Camp from last week. And honestly, like, 
I don't I don't wake up in the morning and go, I would love to watch Midsummer again. Um, right. So, you know, it's oh, just... Good. So, you know, it's just... It's it's interesting that this was the movie that we were like, yeah, I'll watch that again. Yeah, I mean, it was fun. I think it gets points for being fun to watch and being funny, and it had its moments for sure. I do think it is interesting, though, and I did want to make this point earlier, but I find it very funny that this movie, you know, like, there is so much of a debate about it, about, like, you know, is it really feminist? Is it not feminist? Um, did it actually succeed at what it was trying to do? Uh, I have not seen the other two movies, but I do know that the uh, subsequent sequels of the series... Uh, both star uh, previous Playgirls from Playboy magazine, um, which, you know, it's just interesting little subplot right there. Um, I, I, I just, I'll say one more thing, and that's it, and I'm done. All right, I'm done <laughs> after this. I, th- I just think there are other movies out there that are far better that tell the tale of, well, that empower women and, and do it with good acting and a good script, and much better everything else. And they, they're they out there, and you should watch those instead of this one. You know what, Tristan? I couldn't agree more. Speaking of a movie with a strong female lead, excellent effects, a phenomenal story. Ladies and gentlemen, next week on Saying the Skein, the finale of Horror October, we are watching the 1984 classic, the the movie that spawned eight sequels and one reboot. We're watching the nightmare, a nightmare on Elm Street. I was about to say the nightmare on Elm Street, but it's a nightmare on Elm Street. Directed by Wes Craven, starring Robert England, uh, Robert England, I forget her name, Heather Langenkamp, and Johnny Depp in his first starring film role. Ooh, it's gonna be a lot of fun next week. I'm excited. But until then, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Did you have a good time? I did. You guys are so welcome. <laughs> thank you. Yes, well, thank you so much. We'll uh, we'll definitely have to have you back on uh, again at a later date. Yeah, sure. But um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, thank y'all so much for listening. Uh, anybody want to tell them where they can find us, where they can like follow us, all that jazz? Sure. We have a website, uh, vitermedia.com. And we have, I mean, we're on Facebook, we have Twitter, we have Instagram, so check us out in all those places. We're also streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, I mean, you, na- you name it, we're up where we're on there. Um, and yeah, check us out. We have other episodes, and we're, we're releasing them uh, every week. Yep. And uh, yep, uh, so thank you all again so much for checking out us this week and we hope to see you next week when we talk about a nightmare on elm street until then for saying the skein i'm doug i'm tristan i'm elijah and i'm jessica and we will see y'all next week bye (laughs) 